Welcome to Kuden. This podcast gives you the chance to listen in as a student and a master of ninjutsu discuss the principles of warriorship, traditional training, and modern day techniques that are essential to real world self defense. Your hosts are Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller, a 13th degree black belt of ninjutsu, and his decade long student, Eric White, a third degree black belt. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years, including military service, federal police service, private investigation, and has taken him around the world to train with leading martial arts masters. Kuden allows you to listen in on some of the most highly sought after martial arts knowledge, that which isn't written in books or scrolls, but only transmitted verbally between a master and student. This is Kuden. Welcome to our next episode of Kuden. I'm Eric White here with Shidoshi Shihan Miller. <laughs> Don't you ever use that word again. <laughs> I'm lucky there's you know, a counter between you and I. I that's what I'm counting on. <laughs> counting on the counter. It, there was a little debate going into this on what episode we're on. We believe this is episode 13. We've got so many episodes we've done, we've forgotten where we're at. Wow. That and there's a bit of time space between that and, recording sessions. Yeah. You're probably getting them at a different time interval than we recorded them because our original plan was to do one a month, right? And that's true. Life just happened. We should, maybe we should just do away with the numbers altogether on episodes because somebody might get episode 12 as their first episode and yeah, time's I, relative, right? I, I had a teacher once and I don't remember if it was, if it was like in, in college or if it was in the military or whatever, but. I really do believe that the guy had like short term memory loss, you know, because <laughs> we'd be going, no matter where we were and what kind of training, if there was a list involved, right? Yeah. We'd be going through this thing and somewhere after three or four, he'd go, number next. Number next. <laughs> the rest of the list, it would be number next. Number next. Uh, that's where we're at. We're on number next. We're yeah. on number next. That's right. <laughs> But we do have some uh, really interesting topics, as always. In this episode, we're going to take a look. You only at, say that because you chose them.、Uh, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. They're the best because I came up with that's them. That's right.、Uh, we want to take a look at martial arts teachers、uh, and specifically talk a little bit about one of your successful ebooks, The Karate Myth, and what that kind of covers and going to look and what you should be looking for. In a, in a teacher for self defense. Every couple of lessons you have to throw, or every couple of episodes you have to throw something in that just causes me to piss people off, don't you? <laughs> That's exactly what I do. Here we go. And as they say <laughs> at the amusement parks, please hold on to the bar. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Keep your hands and feet inside. <laughs> That's you might right. Lose That's them. Right. And feel free to click unsubscribe at any point. <laughs> at any point. That's right. <laughs> the,、uh, we'll also take a look at the, the next step we've been going through or starting to go through the progression of the Godai and take a look at the element of water and how it relates to. Your training. And then、uh, what I put down is next level training, something I got to do, gosh, a while ago, 10, 11 years. years ago. But、uh, going international, taking your training, if you're here in the United States, overseas to Japan and training there. And, and yeah, you and have、I'd, a really good program、I'd, for helping students do that. Yeah. And I'd also like to take a look at like translating that, that experience as well, because,、mm. you know, we have, a, we have a set curriculum. And I know some of the other Shidoshi. Out there have a set curriculum that,、uh, that is, I'm going to say, different than what they use in Japan. Right.、Mm. Um, but there are differences, and it's really important to not kind of fall prey to the, to the tendency, you know, for them to give out rank in Japan because they're basing things on time or who your teacher is. So therefore, you 
there's an assumption that you're already at a certain level, that kind of thing. Mm. And um, luckily, uh, out of all the years that I've taken folks to Japan, I mean, the year that you went, I took eight people that That was a big group, yeah. yeah. That was a big group, right? Um, normally, I only take one to three with me, but uh, that, one, that year we did eight. But of all the years I've taken people, there's only been one person who got ranked, swore to God, Buddha, Allah, the clouds in the sky, whatever, that, you know, that he was going to come back and continue working at the level where he was in the curriculum and all that. Mm. And not only did not, but within a short time after returning from Japan, just disengaged with training altogether because of the frustration. I mean, Mm. there was an assumption on his part that he was, he belonged in a certain class Mm. because of belt color, but he was missing a ton of tools that allowed him to actually train at that level. But, you know, there's yeah. a conflict between this is my belt. You know, it's kind of like the guy who puts the black belt around his wa- waist and then goes out and hangs out a shingle, you know, that he's now a teacher and he's got a school and then gets his ass handed to him by somebody who's just trained on the street or some, you know, mm. SEAL Team 6 guy or whatever and then has to justify how that happened. Yeah. So anyway, but um, I'd like to put a little uh, thing in there so you're going to have to help me remember because I'm old now. I was <laughs> just talking before when we turned on the, the mics and everything that I'm sounding like old Clint Eastwood, you know. I just don't have a beer sitting beside me. I can <laughs> pop out of a cooler and, you know, shoot the guys next door because they're taking over my neighborhood. Anyway. <laughs> All right. We've got that, and uh, we'll take a look at each one of those coming up in this episode of Kuda. What is the karate myth? Find out why most martial arts programs fail their students when they need it most. Get the most hard-hitting manual on the subject of self-protection. The Karate Myth by self-defense expert Jeffrey Miller. Learn how a fight really works and what experience is needed to survive a brutal assault. Learn how to ensure your safety in a violent world. Get the ebook, The Karate Myth by Jeffrey Miller today with additional bonus materials by logging on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. The Karate Myth, the truth about self-defense. Welcome back to Kuden. I'm here with Shidoshi Why, Miller you. and we're <laughs> you're welcome. Uh you know I have been, you have been my teacher for, it'll be close to 11 years soon. And I, prior, prior to training with you, I think I took, uh, you know, six week karate course when I was like 11 or 12 and something my mom kind of pushed me into. I wasn't really interested that much as at that age at that time. Better and, than most security guards. They're like a graduate of Thursday's class at 3 o'clock. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's just – I was kind of thinking about this the other day uh, on how people kind of come to teachers and what they look for in training. And and you have this really great ebook out there that kind of delves deeply into this topic, uh, the karate myth. And I, I I wanted to get on this topic because this video I saw online recently really kind of brought this to the forefront – um, a teacher was was demonstrating this technique he had in, in which it involved people, you know, his students would punch at him. They'd get about halfway there and just cripple like they've been hit with some kind of, you know, the force, like he's a Jedi. And they just go down and 
these other students thought this seems really fishy. So they paid the price and went in with, you know, what they said, claimed to be an open mind to see if this was a real thing. And just sure. it totally failed. It totally sure. failed their tests of, well, if I'm if, if I'm coming at you or punching, I'm not feeling this thing that you're knocking over your other students with. So, you know, for a student out there looking for self-defense training, there's a lot of crap, it seems like, to sift through. And where I kind of, no. in a way, feel... I thought if it was on the Internet, it was true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of, in a way, You can't put anything on the Internet that's not true. I don't know if lucky or blessed or just, I don't know, the universe bumped me into where I train and, and where I'm at now. He's I such a sucker. Didn't, I didn't, <laughs> but I really, you know, where some people are... I, I know people are out there really looking for these things. They 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 Maybe they've been in an assault or something, and they say, I really need this training mm. to protect myself. Mm. I didn't really come at it that way. I kind of, like, luckily stumbled Yeah, you had a friend it. who said, hey, come to class. you got to check this out. Yeah, and it was like, wow, this is really cool. And it kind of stemmed from that. And But so that's why I wanted to kind of get on, on this topic about teachers and yeah. how somebody actively looking for the right kind of teacher can get there. Yeah. Well, I, I have I have a couple of students. Um, besides the law enforcement officers, or you'll hear me say Leo for those folks who are not in law enforcement. If you hear me say Leo, I'm not talking about this, the horoscope <laughs> kind of thing, right? Yeah, uh, except for my, my law enforcement guys or my military guys who have seen active combat, that kind of thing. Um, right now I have two that I can think of right off the top of my head that are in – uh, in my long-distance training program, in the Platinum Coaching Program. Um, one is in North Carolina, and the other one is in Connecticut. So they're both on the East Coast. Maybe maybe that makes them all screwed up. But anyway, um, <laughs> both of these guys had had prior martial arts experience before an actual criminal attack mm. took place on them, okay? Okay. One was stabbed twice, okay? Wow. Um, Double teamed on the street dark kind of thing. Um, the other one is an older gentleman. He was actually attacked in the mall. Okay. Now the one guy that was stabbed, I don't think he had a black belt at that point, but he had been doing some training. The other guy had a black belt in this jujitsu school or whatever that the teacher swore that, you know, this was self-defense and everything, right? After the attack, which his, everything failed miserably. Everything that he learned, I mean, what he could use just didn't, Pan out. Now, we could say that, you know, he just misunderstood the lessons and applied things incorrectly. But unless you're learning what you're learning simply step by step, right, and you're not doing things like we do with drills and reaction things and, uh, you know, uh, decision making and spontaneous kind of stuff and all yeah. that, right, uh, it should have been in there. Right. There should have been enough for him to fare out well enough, you know, that kind of thing. Um, not. Right. So he goes back to the teacher afterwards and through a bunch of stammering and stuttering and all that, the teacher says, well, you know, this is really based on this stuff and it can be used for self-defense. So what it turned around was the teacher convinced him that he just misunderstood what the teacher had been saying for three and a half years. Right. Mm. So that kind of thing. Right. So. Um, uh, I, I have, I have students that have been that route, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you were lucky or not. It, it doesn't really matter, right? 
but what I what I do want to start by saying is that people can train in the martial arts for lots of reasons, right? Especially today, right? 21st century, right? We don't have the same kind of bandits on the road and all that kind of stuff that they might have had in 13th, 15th century Japan, China, Korea, whatever, right? Right. So even in even in bad areas, it's still relatively safe. Well, in really bad areas, probably not, right? Um, but for most of us in the communities where we live, we're not. We don't have to worry about when we leave the house in the morning. We don't have to worry about the possibility of not coming home that night. Of course, everything's possible, but yeah, right? we, we don't have that that overwhelming sense of this could be it, right? Yeah. Which gives a gives a really good reason for those philosophies that have you living in the moment and making the most out of every moment, right? Because mm. it may be the last moment you have, right? So, anyway, uh, we don't have that. So people today have the luxury of choosing this or that martial art because Uncle Bob's, you know, best friend, whatever, said that was the best martial art. So that's the one they got involved in. Or getting involved in a martial arts school because it's the closest one to my house or the one between work and home and it's not inconvenient to go, you know, that kind of thing. We... we we, we have the luxury of kind of choosing, right? We also have the luxury of getting involved in a martial art uh, because we like Japanese or Korean things or Asian things or whatever, right? Or it's just kind of a physical outlet for things or mm. for ego gratification or whatever. You know, all these things would have gotten you killed back in the day, right? Um, I just want to talk about a letter quickly from uh, that was written by Jutaro Kano, the founder of Judo to all of his judo students hmm. uh, when they first got started. But uh, uh, so you have to keep me on track with that, okay? <laughs> anyway, um, so again, we have this luxury, right? But these things were not designed that way, right? I mean, even the word martial, martial means warfare. It means combat, right? So uh, there are there are and were very specific reasons for, for these things. And even the folks that are going to go, yeah, but what about Tai Chi, right? The kanji for Tai Chi means like indestructible fist or something like that, right? I mean, historically, Tai Chi was one of the most deadly forms of martial arts ever created. But the training method was very different. And because it was developed by monks who, once they went into the monastery, weren't leaving for 11 or 12 years, they had tons of time to master this stuff, right? So, mm. you know, it's very, again, very different time, right? Right. So anyway, so... Um, before I get into the into the Jotaro Kano thing there, um, what I what I do want to say is that I I really do believe that based on my experience, right? I mean, somebody else could have completely different experience, or if I'm talking to you or about you and you fit this definition, feel free to unsubscribe. <laughs> right? um, I do believe that in the martial arts, because because of the time that we live in and people aren't constantly being tested, right? And it's, there's no purification system as in, you know, even if you do compete, right? Mm. There's do-overs, right? right? There's a ref, right? Yeah. If you Things lose, still you control. fight again next week, next month, next year, right. whatever, right? Um, the, the attacks that, you know, on our, are on our scrolls, people generally don't have to deal with, right? It's not a kill shot to the throat. It's mm -hmm. gloved hands to 
different bodies. And even if they're doing bare knuckle stuff, they're, they're stopping things. It's generally not going to a kill kind of thing, right? But that mm -hmm. was the purification system way back in the day. Uh, what I'm saying is if you were full of shit, you, everybody knew very, very quickly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, but um, there's far too many people teaching because of ego gratification or because it, it gives them some sense, some sense of power and control, confidence, whatever, in their little corner of the world. Mm. Right. My, my, one of my teachers used to describe this as um, a lot of these people, they don't like their life. They don't like their job. They don't like their boss. They don't like their spouse, their family or whatever. But for an hour or three, a couple of times a week, right, within these four walls that I'm in charge in, right, mm -hmm. I get to be God. Right. right. I get to be, yeah. I get to be king. Right. Everybody has to do what I say. Right. And there's a lot to that. Right. Especially for folks that really don't feel any other sense of power in their life. Sure. There's a lot to that. Right. But what it really comes down to is not just a sense of confusion on these people, people's part, but on the part of the students as well. And that's where this karate myth came in. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. the name of the book is named after this this syndrome that I've kind of given a name to, right? And the karate myth is the, the belief that either on the per, part of the person who's teaching or on the part of the people who are learning from that person, mm -hmm. that that black belt or that knowledge somehow gives them magical powers to be able to win any fight or whatever. Just because they've mastered this set of skills and they've earned this belt rank or whatever, that they can survive against somebody who's, you know, has the potential of just shooting them from across the street, right? They don't have to mm. come up to them, bow. They're not going to be in their pajamas, right? Nobody's following <laughs> any kind of set of, you know, rules. Sure, yeah. Whatever, right? Um, and the belief that just because this person has mastered a skill set means that they'll be able to teach me how to, um, how to survive against somebody who's not my friend. You know, we're not in this together, Kind of thing, right? Kind of like I don't know. Um, learning, learning. Let's see. I went to uh, when uh, uh, on my uh, honeymoon, right? We went to the Poconos and we stayed mm -hmm. in these little resorts and everything, right? And one of the nights they had a uh, a Latin dancing class, right? So I love Latin dancing, right? So I went, right? And um, uh, we, you know, worked on this dance and everything. And I got really, really good and all that. And we got certificates, right? You know, it's a certificate of participation, right? But there it is, <laughs> right? So we got these certificates, right? That'd be like me getting that, right? Or, or, you know, maybe, maybe I, I do get good at Latin dancing, right? At several dances, the rumba and the samba and all, you know, all that, right? And then I decide I'm going to enter a contest that's ballroom dancing or they're doing the waltz. Right. Yeah. And dude, I don't care. Well, you know, <laughs> dancers dance. Right. So it's no big deal. Right. It's the same way most people think about martial arts. Right. You know, ducking a punch is ducking a punch. Mm, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and while punches are punches. Um, yeah. No. Um, so uh, anyway, let, let me back up here a little bit to this. Uh, for those folks who don't know who Jotaro Kano was. Right. He was the founder of judo. Mm. Right. He was actually a really good friend of Takamasu Sensei, our 33rd Grandmaster, Hatsumi Sensei's teacher, right? And several other really high-ranking people, right? Taro Kano himself 
he dabbled in martial arts, but he was a principal, a school principal and teacher, right? Hmm. And during that time, we're talking mid to late uh, 1800s, turn of the century kind of thing, right? In Japan, uh, school kids went to school, but they sat all day long, right? Maybe yeah. had some recess, go out and run around a little bit, blow off some steam, but... Hmm. For the most part, they sat all day long, right? So they're getting smart, but their bodies are kind of wasting away, right? Mm. So he decided to create this thing that would become a physical education mm. curriculum for students, right? So, you know, as you go through grades, you go through ranks and things like that, right? So he got together with Takamatsu Sensei and some of these other guys, and he borrowed the non-lethal throws and, and things like that from these different arts, right? Mm. And created this this new martial art thing, right? Judo, right? And um but one of the first things that he did whenever a student enrolled into this class, he had this letter that he had written that every student got, right? And what the letter says, now you'll get a lot of argument from judo people that if I say that judo is not wasn't designed for self defense, right, mm. they'll, you know, their heads will explode, right? <laughs> Laser beams will shoot out of what used to be their eyes. Um, but here, it, it's it's in plain, I'd say black and white, but it's ink and parchment kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, where he said uh, judo is not a martial art, right? This is a martial sport, right? Mm. And it is not designed for fighting or self defense, like real fighting and self defense, right? However, other people who see you practicing may confuse what you're doing mm. with fight training, okay? So I highly suggest that you study a fight martial art, a true Budo, just in case that happens, that wow. you'll be able to handle yourself. Mm. Okay? And of course, I'm paraphrasing this whole letter and everything, right? But that's the gist of the letter, right? Mm. So here's somebody that's very clear about what he's doing and what he's putting together and letting his students know. But fast forward, what, a century, right? Mm. And, you know, even though judo and taekwondo and a couple of these other things are in the Olympics yeah. and the Olympic Committee, you know, studies this stuff and they, and they take a long time to deliberate whether something's allowed to be in the Olympics or whatever. Yeah. And the only way these things were allowed to be in the Olympics was they were non-lethal. They were sport systems, right? right? Now, I'm not saying that those people can't defend themselves, right? Just like I wouldn't say that a high school wrestler can't defend him or herself. Mm -hmm. right? What I am saying is, is that these things were not designed for that and they're not taught mm. in that context. Yeah. So unless you were extremely intuitive, right, and you have experience to back up that knowledge that you have so that you know when this would be appropriate, more importantly, when it wouldn't be appropriate, right, mm. relying on it, that uh, yeah, that'd be kind of scary, right? But yeah, I mean, there there are a lot of yahoos out there, right? So, um, you had a, you had a specific direction for this. So yeah, that, just that it, it really kind of sounds like I mean, preamble. there's a lot of responsibilities going on here. There sounds like there's there's the responsibilities on part of a teacher that oh, students are coming to you in a in a state or form. It sounds like of maybe not having a lot of self confidence or needing this kind of training, learning how to protect themselves. So there's a responsibility, of course, on the instructors to be able to deliver that. And, and yeah, well, this is just to like our, somebody who's really kind of almost in a what vulnerable state that, yeah. you know, because 
some of these other teachers are are maybe taking them down the wrong kind of path. Uh, you know, as you pointed out with somebody who thinks, you know, hey, I kind of have this sense that I'm God within these four walls. And yeah. that's kind of a skewed thing. But there's also the responsibility on the students on trying to maybe sort out and, and look maybe in themselves, what do they want to get out of it? Yeah, and, th- and this is really kind of a double-edged sword. On the one side, um, well, this is like one of the most serious topics I've had, huh? I, guess I, ha- I don't feel like I have to tiptoe around it, but um, you know me, I'm, I, I'm constantly self-checking, right? yeah. and I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm, but I'm not trying to make sure I'm not guilty of these things. Like I have to watch myself all the time, but I know that anything that I describe there could have been a, a, a misunderstanding with a student or whatever at any sure. point where somebody says, oh, yeah, but see, you carry yourself that way and you have people call you sensei and shoshi. And, yeah, but we do that for a completely different reason. It's right. psychology within the dojo, right? So, yeah. Anyway, um, the double-edged sword. On one side, you have this thing, and I, I was guilty of this a long, long time ago myself, right, where to the teacher or to the person who wants to be a teacher, right, this is a cool thing. Right. Mm. People look up to you and all that kind of stuff. But that really does speak of a neediness, right? A need for self-validation, a sense or a feeling that I'm not okay as I am, that I need a title or I need a position or I need for people to look at me or interact with me in a way that that validates my existence kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. We talk about that stuff in Mikio, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but it's it's not it's not this it's not this badge of honor right it's i mean you know is it is it valuable is it you know you're doing good for these people in the world of course you are right mm-hmm. but from a from an internal sense right because there's always an internal external kind of thing so externally yeah of course we're doing good in the world and all that kind of stuff right so see me playing this off right, right? i know i'm doing good but the self check is the inner drive that's causing it to happen, right? And what's really going on on the inside, right? Mm. To me, it's not a badge of honor, right? It's it's a heavy, heavy, heavy responsibility, right? Because I have to weed out the jack wagons who come in who just want to learn how to hurt other people, right? That, you know what, go off to some MMA gym or go, you know, sow your wheat someplace else where those people are way okay with you pounding on them because they're expecting that you'll let them pound on you as well. And Mm. there's not as much learning as there is, I don't know, some weird sense of animalistic bonding going on or whatever, right? Mm. Uh, Because, as you said, I've got a lot of people coming to me because of confidence issues, and they really do want to learn self-defense. But at the same time, walking in the door, they're not ready for an all-out attack, which is how a lot of this right. MMA stuff is done, right? You yeah. just figure it out as you go along, right? Or sure. get broken or quit in the process, right? Yeah. So uh, I also have to make sure that uh, I know what students' concerns are and, and you know, I mean, if they're, if they're fresh off an assault, if I have a woman that just, you know, signs up for a, a rape defense seminar, right, and she was just raped like within the last year or five, right? There's a really good chance that during one of the training drills, and this has happened more than once mm. in the last 26 years, where those feelings and that trauma comes flooding back, right? But she didn't 
tell me she was, and I mm. wasn't perceptive enough to know that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to read that after wow. it happened once or twice. So, mm. yeah. So um, there's a there's a heavy responsibility to it, right? I have to make sure the students get things in the right order, and I also need to make sure, well, that, that getting it in, in the right order, right? It's not about the curriculum. Well, it is in my case because the curriculum is designed to give people things in a, you need this first, you need this next. And not because the martial arts says so, mm-hmm. because this is what you're going to need and what your abilities will allow you to do based on attack probability, mm. right? right? You need this first. Then we can work on this. Then we can work on this. Then, we, You know what I mean? Yeah. Most curriculums aren't designed that way or curricula aren't designed that way. They're designed based on this is what my teacher taught me. This is what the the International Federation of Tic-Tac-Toe put together or right. whatever, right? So this is the official way to do it, right? Mm. That doesn't mirror what the the – the use of force or the, the, the probability, the, the assault type scenario, probability kind of thing are going to happen on the street, right? So what is the first thing, right? The first thing is what are the most common attacks, right? And what is somebody fresh off the street going to be able to do within the first three to six months, right? Get the hell out of the way mm. or break a grip or whatever, right? Yeah. Luckily, the world shows us statistically that 95 to 98% of attacks, which is covered in the karate myth as well, right, right. are – Easily handled by basics, right? And I don't mean just, you know, take up a stance, do this, punch, that kind of thing. I mean, like, evasion skills, Mm -hmm. uh, breaking somebody's grip, maintaining distance, that kind of thing, right? Not fancy footwork, not a cool throw, not, you know, 16 different punches, anything like that, right? Uh, Certainly, I'm going to bark up the Bujinkan tree here. Not the Sanshin, not the Kionapo or whatever. Now, Mm -hmm. can somebody be learning them? Sure. But... You're talking about somebody popping off a quick jab or, you know, one of these right hook haymaker kind of things. Uh, the Sanchi and the Kyanapo are not designed as basic models to deal with those things. They're designed for this, quote unquote, classical ski kind of thing that takes mm. a little bit of extra time to get there. The distance is different. The, the, you know, mm-hmm. the assumptions are different. Not that you can't use them. You can use those things to defend yourself against a 21st century attacker. But it takes a little more than just learning the model to be able to use that thing, right? So mm-hmm. the, here's the, the one side of the sword is the teacher recognizing their responsibility, right? And the second side of the sword is on the student's side, right? But it also, the teacher needs to rec- recognize this as well. And I think we'd keep the teacher straight, but most people would say that, you know, it's it's students responsibility to uh, know whether this guy's legit or not. You know what? You can fabricate any kind of paperwork, any kind of credentials, whatever, and make it look really good. Right. So I don't even bother with those. Then you have somebody like me who's done some things in the military and all that. You know what? They never ended up in my military record. I've got my, I've got a copy of my military record and it's, an inch and a half thick, right? Mm. And that was just for seven years worth of stuff. And there's a bunch of stuff that I was involved in that Mm. is not in my military record, right? Either because somebody didn't fill out the appropriate form, it didn't get sent somewhere, or Mm -hmm. what I was doing didn't go anywhere. Mm. You know what I mean? So um, 
so anyway, what, what, what I, I believe is, is the student's responsibility is, one, being very, very clear about why they're training and not confusing one thing for another. Because if they're clear about it, you know, if you're training for aesthetic reasons because you like Asian things, then what does it matter what style you train in as long as it, you know, if, if you're all about Japanese, Chinese, and Korean things, then don't be taking a Filipino martial art. Right. You know, or, <laughs> you know, Hawaiian kajukembo or something like that, right? Mm. Um, or what? Pick something, right? That's sambo. Don't do the yeah. Russian martial art of sambo, <laughs> you know. Um, but if it's if it's uh, if it's self protection, then you should probably have an idea about the the kind of scenarios that scare the shit out of you, or that you're worried about, or whatever, right? right? And then make sure that within the first hundred days of training, I don't mean hundred classes, I mean hundred days, which is no more than 28 classes, maybe. In our school, you just do mm-hmm. classes a week, yeah. 4.2 weeks in a month, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, right? So 25 to 30 classes, right? Mm. You've covered multiple times things that will either pull you away from or make it more difficult for the attacker to initiate or engage with certain attacks, right? It was just, yeah. I mean, that was, that was a heavy part of your initial training, right? Yeah. If he can't grab you, if he can't hit you, he can't hurt you. If he can't mm-hmm. hurt you, he can't beat you, mm-hmm. right? Make his freaking job difficult, right? Yeah. It's not about, you know, he's going to do X, Y, Z, and you're going to do A, B, C, and the, the life, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the world is wonderful, right? I still, I still think to this day, you know, when, when I get a chance to jump in, like on beginner classes or help, you know, coach or anything, I, I, that, distance you know of 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 stepping back like into a sagon from a punch and mm-hmm. and doing that kind of where we measure out hey okay try to reach hey i'm you look you just took this little step and you're just outside of reach okay right. reach with your arm they can't you're just yeah. outside their reach but look you have all of this you can do from where you're at and you're safe right. and and that little simple thing yeah. every time that comes up happens to come up in training i just always think that is just one of the coolest things. That and I, little, that and little I know thing. to a beginner, they're just looking, they're focusing on themselves. So this is how you step back into this coma, right? So we yeah. just tell them, look, just make sure you're far enough away. So beginners will tend to overstep. Fantastic. I don't care. But I know that the way I gave them the lesson, not just the come on, not just, okay, put your hand here, put your foot here, whatever, right? Okay, you get a new belt, right? Um, but working out those drills and everything, right? And knowing that they're too far away. Right. Yeah. That's fantastic because after the first class, if they got jumped after the first class, they still might lose. But the guy's going to have to throw twice as many punches or whatever to try to nail them because they yeah. they learned how to to cover and and blade their body and, and mm. that kind of thing. Right. So um, you know, at this point in your training, it should be uh, you know where he might actually take the other shot because you look close enough if he reaches far enough. But he can't touch you. He's wasted a shot, and now he's really compromised because he overextended and just made your life even easier, right? Yeah. But look at all the, you know, look at how far the basics are going to carry you. When I taught you that lesson, I said this is going to carry you all the way to eighth degree black belt, right? So, and you're still learning things about it. So, yeah. But anyway, um, the uh, the point here is the student needs to be clear about what it is they need, especially if it's if it's self defense, right? And then to to gauge, right? And if yeah. something sounds like it's off. Make sure that you're questioning it, mm. right? Which, which you know, really kind of leads you to: Are you in a dojo that you can't question the teacher? Mm. Or if you question the teacher, then you get to be the the demonstration dummy for a while, right? It's not frowned upon; it's just an unwritten rule, and you'll be the one mopping up the mat if 
mm. you know, if you challenge their authority or whatever, right? Very different from what I tell you guys, right? If, it's, if something doesn't sound like it matches your experience, you need to speak up because yeah. I'll explain to you how this works, right? Um, and the other thing that a student needs to remember and teachers really need to remember, but more more the student, right? And you kind of touched on this earlier, is that a student who is going to going to you know training unless they've been in a bunch of different martial arts or they already have a black belt and they just want to learn a different system and add to their school skill set or whatever but a beginner going in right can we presume that the person doesn't know anything or they don't know how to effectively or efficiently or scientifically handle a situation they're mm. pretty sure they can throw punches and dot you know bob and weave and things like that but yeah. you know how do i do it in, in a better way right um they're literally putting their hand, their life in the hands of this other person right? yeah. until they're able to do it themselves. And that, again, that's something that every, every teacher needs to take seriously too. Yeah. These people are putting their lives in your hands, right? You better be fucking right. Excuse my language. You better be right. Yeah. You absolutely better be right. Right. And that's something that, that I keep in my mind all the time. Right. And in the book, I I've I shared this every once in a while, but in the book, you know, I want I want people to know that you know before you think I'm too altruistic, right? And you know, just this is about the students and all that, right? Mm. There's some self-serving stuff going in here. You know, I, I know I'm a Mikio teacher and got all this philosophy stuff and all that, but uh, ego's still you know in there a little bit, right? Um, what if what if I'm ill? What if I'm what if I'm dead? Right? Whatever. What if I'm incapable of using my skills to protect myself? or my family, and I have to rely on somebody that I taught mm. to do that for me. Wow. That'd be yeah. bad karma if I just went on the whole, you know, ego horse ride for a while and, right. you know, uh, I'm screwed. Right? Wow. So I train every one of you guys as though you may be my bodyguard at some day, at some point, right? So, mm. and look after that accident that I had at the end of 07, right? Right. For how long What did I depend on somebody else being able to do it because I could barely get, I could barely move. Right. Right. So mm. it wasn't, it wasn't so much about protecting me, but mm. you know, I still have a responsibility to my family. You know, yeah. I'm not shucking that because, uh, you know, I'm not making any money or I'm injured or woe is me or uh, no, that doesn't take away from my responsibility to protect those. I, you know, I made a vow to or I, mm -hmm. whatever. So there's, there's that thing. Right. Mm. So, um, anyway, I think what this is leading, um, well, I think that's what we were going to talk about originally yeah. was, was just this whole, the, the, the things, the, the thing that I believe that I bring to the table more than any other teacher, not any other teacher, there's, there's a handful of us in the world. It's maybe a big handful, but, um, it's certainly not more than 90%, 95% of the people that are actually teaching. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, is more than just the knowledge of the martial art or martial arts that I've learned or the skills or whatever, right? It's I've used these skills on the street against really bad people, mm. right? Bigger than me, stronger than me, faster than me, multiple attackers, with and without weapons, you know, that kind of thing. And so when I teach you something, right? I mean, how often have you heard me say, um, if you do this wrong, this will happen this way, 
and I'm not going to tell you how I know that. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> yeah, hear that often. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it d- didn't necessarily have to be me that made that mistake, but yeah, you know, I I remember one time I was working in Germany as a military policeman, and uh, my partner and I got in a scuffle with two guys who were wanted. They had brandished weapons and stuff like that. So the pilots I were looking for them and everything, right? Mm. And we caught them outside of a bar downtown, and uh, I don't know where their weapons were. I think they were in their vehicles, right? Mm. So it was just them, right? <clears throat> luckily. And, uh, I was taking one guy and, um, finished him, had him face down on the ground, put him in handcuffs and turned around just in time to see this other guy throw my partner who was a multiple level black belt in a couple of different martial arts, right? Flipped him over. And this guy did a textbook jujitsu judo style breakfall, right? That slapping breakfall kind of thing, which I taught mm. you when to not do the slapping breakfall, right? <laughs> Holy First right class. Away. <laughs> First yeah. class, right? And it's not that you won't do it because sometimes that's, that's all you have, right? Yeah. But we put that in the advanced levels for the what if situations, right? As yeah. soon as he was going over, the arm went into this position, right? Came down and his forearm made contact with the curb, Right. Concrete curb on the side of the road, kind of thing, right? Broke his, shattered his arm, his forearm in two places, one at the elbow and one mid forearm. And oh. while he laid there screaming, I had to take the other guy down and finish that off and then, you know, call yeah. for backup to get those guys hauled off mm. and then get my partner to the emergency room because he was, he was in bad shape mm. right? because that wasn't, a, that wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a, not a concept. It wasn't. It wasn't a consideration in training, right? The consideration. Lots of people train with no real world considerations because they live in. They work. They work out in this big open area with mats, and right. there are no obstacles and all that. Mm. Not us, right? I I grab chairs and all kinds of stuff and put mm-hmm. it in the training area and stuff, yeah. and and make you guys have to navigate around those things, or yeah, or even that camps would go outside. Absolutely. Do stuff on the Uneven street, on ground, the asphalt. In between cars. Outdoors, yeah. Absolutely. You mm-hmm. bet. Right. So, um, but a lot of that stuff, it doesn't just come from, I mean, I guess somebody could sit around and think about, hmm, what would a real situation be like? Or watch the news or whatever, which is a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I don't have to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've, I've been in those situations. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you remember a guy named Nate Cooper. Do you remember Nate? He no, now works for the so. FBI. Oh, um, actually, he started with me when he was like 13 years old, had done eight years of training in Taekwondo before he came to me and all wow. that and was about to test for a second degree black belt, which was cool. Right. Uh, came in for this open house that we were doing. And um, during the open house, we, uh, during the promotion of the open house. Right. We told everybody that, you know, if you come in, blah, 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 we're going to give you information da-da-da. and we're going to teach you three black belt knife defense techniques, which were three of the techniques that you guys have on your curriculum to go from first cue to Shodan, first degree hmm. black belt. Right? Okay. Yeah. So we're going to teach these, right? And um, I really didn't think he was going to enroll. I mean, his dad was there and he brought his best friend in and all that stuff. And they both enrolled, right? But the whole time I thought, there's there's no way. Hmm. This guy was really, really good at Taekwondo. I mean, he could pop these kicks off. and But he didn't come in, you know, he didn't come in showing off. Got a couple of students here or there that always have to demonstrate these, these hmm. skills that they have, right? What the hell does that have to do with what you're learning here? Right. right? Okay. Don't forget it, but you're just wasting time, right? So anyway, um, but he couldn't finish the first technique. We spent the same amount of time I was going to do all three techniques on him trying to learn the first one. Wow. Because he was 
he was actually conditioned because of eight years of training to not move his body out of the way of things. Hmm. So he couldn't get past the first move, which was to get offline. Wow. Right. And let the, let the attack miss. He was so, he was so conditioned to standing in place and blocking and betting his life that he would be faster than the guy who initiated the strike. And we learned what grade in science that action is faster than reaction. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think it was, I was in fifth grade. Right. <laughs> right. So anyway, um, but, uh, uh, I don't even think he made it to Shodan. At one point, he and two other friends were at the mall, and one of the friends was actually much older than him. I mean, at that point, Nate was probably 16, 17. One of his friends was was quite older, and I think he actually worked as a bodyguard. Hmm. Not a bodyguard, a, uh, a bouncer. A bouncer. Yeah, a bouncer at a, at a club kind of thing, right? So he had he had definitely had fight experience and stuff like that, right? And then the other guy was his friend that came in and enrolled in classes and all that. But anyway, they're at the mall. They come out of the mall. And there are these two guys sitting on, on his friend's car, right? Just, mm. you know, so uh, the friend's like, hey, get off the car. And these guys just, you know, a few, you know, mm. that kind of thing, right? Well, the next thing you know, you know, you got this situation. Nate wanted to just kind of go home, but mm-hmm. the bouncer friend who's conditioned to be confrontational, right? right? And the other guy who, you know, test this stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. decide to step up. Well, these guys not only come off the car, but one pulled a knife. Mm. Right. Um, long story short, uh, Nate dealt with both of them. Right. He took his guy down, had him running off, disarmed him because he took the knife guy. Mm. Right? And then saved the other two from the other guy who was just going apeshit, just slinging and swinging and, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And afterwards, Nate came in. And he was ecstatic. And he said, you know, one, he said, first, don't tell my dad that this happened because I'll never mm. be able to go to the mall again. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, dude, why didn't you call the police? And there would yeah. have been a uh, you know, report and we'd have been in the paper and this stuff works. And, <laughs> you know, and he's like, no, I'd never be able to go to the mall. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, typical teenager. <laughs> Priorities. Yeah, that's, right, that's right. That's right. But um, the, he was excited because he said, the the entire fight scenario transpired in exactly the order that I said it would happen. I mean, you guys have to learn the five Ds and the six phases. Of, well, it's now eight phases of effective self-defense situation and all that mm. stuff, right? The whole science of how a situation unfolds, right? He said it happened like clockwork. He said halfway through, I felt like laughing because I knew what the guy was going to do before he did the next thing. Wow. And, you know, and I said, so – how many opportunities did you have during that foray to use what you had learned before? And he said, zero. It, the, the distance was never right. The, my positioning was never right. His positioning mm. was never right. It happened so fast that the, none of it, zero, right? Wow. But what, what amazed him the most was that not just the skills that he used, but the fact that the scenario unfolded. Mm. As though it were preordained, it, as though it were just another training scenario, right? Hmm. So, um, and that you know, those kind of things make me feel good. Yeah. But it, I feel good because he did well and he applied things correctly, not because oh, see, I was right, you know. That, yeah. Um, yeah. If I don't think that I'm right, I probably shouldn't be doing this thing. But anyway, it, uh, what what I really do believe that I bring to the table is the, is the experience, and I think that. Um, that should be something that students look for. Uh, and even if they 
even if they don't ask, right, you should get a sense about somebody as to whether they're, they're just a brawler, they're just a fighter. And it's not that they can't teach you how to fight, but there's a very different legal ramification between fighting and self-defense, right? There's mm. a different reason for being there and, and, and all that, right? So, yeah. um, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult road to walk, both as a teacher, but it's, you know, how do, how do you really know as yeah. far as teachers go? And like you said, you feel lucky. I feel lucky as well because I spent a long time going from teacher to teacher, style to style, somewhere out of convenience because I happened to be in the military and mm-hmm. there were these two martial arts being taught on the installation. So, you know, I went to one, then I went to another and, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, as far as this martial art goes, I bumped into a freaking uh, magazine article one day and I knew by second paragraph in, you know, mm. that this was pointing in the direction that I've always been looking. And by the time I was done with that article, I knew that not only was I going to train in this martial art, but I was going to train with that guy. Wow. You know, easier said than done since I was half a globe away from where he was <laughs> at that point. Right. Yeah. So, anyway, wow. Yeah. Powerful lesson. Uh, you can look for the karate myth, the ebook. You can get it uh, on the website, warrior-concepts-online.com. I know there's a link there for it, but it's also in ebook form, right? So yeah, it's you in can ebook get it in form. Um, it's it's going to be released um, through Amazon here pretty soon. Uh, they have a, a program where uh, self-published authors can now turn their books into like solid books and all that. So, yeah. Uh, I'm going to release it that way as well. And the other one, uh, we we have uh, – well, it's not new. We've we've had this thing up for maybe three years. There's another website, which is a membership-based site. Um, you can get a free membership. You don't have to get the, a paid thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's at warriorconceptsinternational.com. Just spell mm. it out, no hyphens or anything like that. Right. And uh, we are in the process right now. One of my uh, students and I are in the process of bringing a lot of these products together in one place as a quote-unquote store. Yeah. So – uh, here in a week, a little less than a week, you should be able to go to warriorconceptsonline.com forward slash WCI store, mm. and you'll see a, a listing of all these things. Different books. And it'll be in there and stuff like that. You can click on it and go through that. Great. Yeah, so um, it's, it's a cool thing. Next on Kuden, we're going to continue what we, we kind of started last with uh, a look at the Godai and the different elements and how stepping through those and Godai. how they relate to training. And next we'll be on Sui or water. So that's coming up next on Kuden. How would you like to learn secrets most martial arts black belts don't know about real-world self-defense? Of course you would, and Shidoshi Miller is offering them to you for free. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com right now and sign up for Shidoshi Miller's free newsletter, and you'll receive the free ebook Fight Smarter, Not Harder. You'll get critical lessons for being more safe, secure, and prepared. Tips for overcoming the victim mentality and 19 principles you must know for surviving a real-world street attack. It's free and easy to sign up, so do it right now. Warrior-concepts-online.com. Fight smarter, not harder. What you need to know about surviving a real-world street attack. Welcome back to Kuden. I'm here with Shidoshi Miller, and we are talking about the Godai. If you don't know what that is, too bad. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I have to say, before we go on with this session, if our voices suddenly go blank and this is the end of everything... 
it's because he hit the wrong freaking button, right? <laughs> I would think that with all these years of using this equipment and stuff, he I, would, I don't know. He would, I really don't. He wouldn't hit the wrong button. I found my way through. <laughs> Take it till you make it, right? Out in the end. What do they say? In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I know it's one of these freaking buttons. <laughs> You're not over at the water cooler trying to get the radio station to work. No, no. It's unfortunate because, see, as soon as you show that you know how to do a few things, you get all the phone calls when stuff Right. It's the fan. Right. Yeah. yeah. And who wants that kind of responsibility, right? I hate that. <laughs> you know what they call that in most companies, right? Customer service. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So uh, a brief refresher on what the Godai as a whole is. Yeah. Well, the Godai is a Japanese word, and uh, contrary to the way it sounds, I'm not telling you to go do something that would end your life, <laughs> right? Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of a of a George Carlin uh Joker, he talks about these different words and stuff, like the foods that he wouldn't eat. Uh, and one of them was succotash, right? Uh, what the hell did you call me? That kind of thing. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and the pronunciation is godai, uh, and I'm not going to go into a big Japanese lesson here. Uh, but the godai uh, are these five elemental manifestations, right? It's an old system to kind of explain how energy manifests in the world. Hmm. In our uh, Buddhist mikyo, our, our mind science stuff, there's actually a rokudai. There's a sixth element, which is chita. It's mind, right? Mm. But there are these different things. So uh, the guy just kind of describes these things. And funny story, and I may have mentioned this before. So if you've heard it before, put your fingers in your ear, and I'll tell you when to take them out. Wait, that's not going to work, is it? <laughs> anyway, um, if we were on video. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, when I was in ninth grade, I remember this like it was yesterday. Yeah, I'm getting old. So yesterday was a long time ago. Anyway, um, when uh, when I was in ninth grade, uh, and I was in uh, biology class, right? We, for whatever reason, the teacher had uh, was discussing the uh, periodic table of the elements, which should have been something we did in chemistry class. But either way, and it was probably something because of carbon and whatever we were doing something mm. related. But anyway. He made this joke that can you believe in the East they will only believe that there's five elements and he wrote these things out you know earth mm. water fire air you know that kind of thing right but we really know that there are eighty one that's how old I am yeah. then there were only eighty one <laughs> now we have what a gazillion one hundred thirty maybe thirty or something? forty something know. like that I don't know some geek will call in and go yeah there is <laughs> don't forget about Einsteinium I don't care <laughs> what I care about is that in ninth grade there were eighty one yeah <laughs> there were there were as many as there are now but we knew about eighty one anyway so but he said you know they believe they only know the, they believe that there's only anyway the Godai is a system of classifying things. Mm. Because of like nature, and this is how we, you know, classify techniques and things like that um, in training leading up to black belt, right? And now I, I know there's lots of people in the Budokan that say no, this doesn't exist and all that. Uh, yeah, it does. It exists in the Kuji stuff that goes in the Gyoko to you from day one, mm. but we won't get into that argument, right? Anyway, so, uh, you know, so earth is anything that has to do with solid or firm or that forms a foundation or creates walls or, you know, that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then uh, fire is uh, energy in a, uh, in a combustible state or, a, you know, it's, you get energy being released kind of thing, right? So it could be laser beams, it could be bonfire, mm. whatever, right? 
Um, anyway, so there's there's this stuff, right? And, and we could go into this uh, at some other point. As a matter of fact, if you've been on this on the call or following Kuden for a while, uh, right? We've already done one to kind of outline yeah. the Godai, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know what number. If we don't know what number we're on today, <laughs> I have no idea what number that was. I'm fairly no. certain it's thirteen <laughs> for today, right? Ninety nine point eight percent. That doesn't help me to know what. The other thing is on, right? But if you go go to the directory page, you'll be able to see what our three primary topics are for each one. Mm-hmm. Find the one that says the Godai. <laughs> anyway, so um, now the Godai, it, it's not just limited to physical things. So, you know, Earth isn't just rocks and, and boulders and mountains, right? And water isn't just water and fire isn't just, you know, fire. Right? Mm. Um, there are physical manifestations, uh, how it manifests in nature, uh, psychological, emotional, all those things, right? So, mm. again, there are ways to classify things that uh, that have similar principles or it's a similar concept, right? So, in this case, water represents uh, not just the element, right, with its name, but things that uh, that have the same qualities mm. that we think of when we think of water. Now, you have to also understand that water has different states, right? right so sure. um, water can go all the way to one extreme where it's it's almost in an energy-releasing state where it's it has an influence of fire mm-hmm. in it, right? Mm-hmm. All the way to another extreme where it's influenced by the element of earth where it's now ice, right? right? Sure. But it's still water. At its very nature, mm. it's still water, right? Hmm. Um. So, you know, actually the whole steam thing influenced by fire is also influenced by wind, right? Because now it's very cloud-like and gaseous sure. and that kind of thing, right? So anyway, um, but just at its uh, at its core, right, essence, water, if you think about water, right, water is, um, it is adaptive, right? Even the molecules for water, right? Mm. They tend to roll over each other, right? Which is what creates that fluid yeah. kind of quality, right? Uh, at a molecular level, these things roll over each other as opposed to earth things where the molecules are they're, – they're still bound by the same kind of space, mm-hmm. but they're vibrating at an intensity. You're getting all physics and right. quantum physics on you and stuff, Newtonian physics on you, right? And they're vibrating in place to where they appear to be solid, but mm. it's still got the same space and all that. But it's the way the molecules interact with each other, right? Yeah. There's just more space between uh, the molecules in, in a gaseous thing, right, at that wind level. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, at the fire level, the molecules are interacting with each other and producing other energy, kind of like the molecules in a crystal or a liquid or whatever. Mm. That when they're stimulated, then you get this laser beam kind of thing. Right. right. That's the energy being produced by this hmm. vibration stimulation. Or in a microwave oven, you get pasta. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. That kind of thing. But anyway, water is adaptive. Um, it also has the state of uh, clarity. Right. It's it can be clear or um uh, what uh, if we think about an ocean wave, right? Mm-hmm. It it uh, its ebb and flow, and it's the way it's influenced by other elements can create uh, power, and that power itself um, can even break up rocks and and yeah. things like that, right? So um, that's really what this thing is, and it, it's going to take way longer than we have for this thing. But uh, within our bodies, right, water. Uh, 
uh, all the all the elements are present, right? Earth is our bones and muscles and tissue, and the, the hard parts are the firm parts of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Water is our circulatory system, right? So we really have a mini universe happening within us, right? Fire is our uh, metabolism, and it, there, there is mm-hmm. no such thing as metabolism. There is different metabolic rates, right? Your muscles metabolize. You metabolize oxygen uh, with mm. your lungs. You know, your nervous system metabolizes certain things. And so you have different metabolic rates. But anyway, mm. there's this overall life force metabolism kind of thing, right? Yeah. Wind is your respiration, right? And then void is your ability to think and communicate at whatever level you have allowed yourself to do that or limited yourself because of the bile cell destruction that happens with whatever, mm-hmm. head banging, <laughs> <laughs> right? Whatever, right? So anyway, um, I'm not sure exactly how we covered this thing with Earth because it's been a while since. Well, the last and episode. and just kind of looking at how, uh, you know, because I know in the school, uh, you know, the structure of of new students kind of coming through, mm. it, it's kind of set up with the Q ranks and and that that people kind of step through these different elements as they start to touch on different parts of their training. Right. Um, module one is is a is really about this earth thing because we want students to develop a sense of confidence in being able to handle the most basic common kind of things, right? So that's the heavy overriding thing, but module one is also kind of a, an example or a sampling of what is to come. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of water stuff in there. There's a little bit, of, you know, just kind of distancing and angling and whatever. There's, you know, a little bit of fire, whatever, right? Module two is really where the whole science of, uh, of this system starts to come into play. We want to give people a good foundation so that if something happens within the first three to six months of them starting training, preferably after the first class they've had, right, um, they've got something to do, even if it's just get the hell out of the way, right, and do it effectively so that you can't get at you easily the next time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, module two is the L, is the module where we focus on this water concept, right? So uh, that's where we're taking a look at uh, things from – uh, at least the first lesson is really using the the ocean wave as this symbolic idea, right? Where we're we are uh, pulling back, garnering a whole bunch of extra power and energy and stuff like that, and then allowing that to crash forward into the attacker, right? Mm. Uh, I know how odd that may sound to some people, but um, think baseball pitcher, right? Yeah, that is a that is a water type yeah. motion, right? Yeah, but he's not doing ninjutsu, or he's not doing it. Yeah. He's still doing there's this build doing up baseball taijutsu, right? But it, there's this huge wind-up, right? Yeah. Think um, bowler, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, he's moving forward, but there's part of him that's allowing that, that weight to, to move back a certain way, and then gravity and inertia helps to mm. allow him to take this 16-pound rock and throw it faster and harder than he would from just a standstill, Yeah, right? That's called a shot put. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. But uh, bowlers. Right. Even yeah. though they're stepping forward, there's still this wind up. Right. So that's this idea. Right. With a wind up, you need time, you need distance, that kind of thing. Right. So there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with that. On the mandala, uh, water is represented. Uh, if we look at the Godai mandala and that for those of you who follow this stuff, that's the mandala with the nine squares. Right. And the lower six are all pretty much mirror images of each other with the exception of the symbol or the symbolic references to what's going on inside. Uh, so some look like human beings, other ones look like little symbols, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, the uh, So inside those squares, 
there's a big circle, and inside the big circle, there are these five smaller circles laid out, kind of like a plus sign, mm-hmm. right? Right. Okay. So the quote unquote water realm, right, is the lowest point, right? It's the bottommost circle mm. in that plus sign, right? And uh, that uh, that can be seen from a lot of different perspectives, but uh, at one level, it is the concept of defensiveness, okay? Uh, holding on to that which is mine, right? Which is opposite the realm of fire, which is expression and reaching out to get that which I need, mm. okay? So two, compl- two yeah. you know, complementing opposite kind of things, right? So this is the, the realm of defensiveness, right? So this is the, the idea of protection and, uh, mm. you know, cover and, and those kind of things, right? But it's also the realm of the scientist, okay? Because one of the other qualities of water is clarity, right? And science mm. seeks clarity to understand how things work, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, it's more of an intellectual clarity more than like a street smart clarity or mm. an enlightened clarity kind of thing we can toss those words around a whole lot, but it's really about the intellectual academic kind of thing mm. because it's also the realm of the teacher slash student, mm. that which is to be known and that which is known and that kind of thing. But either way, it's this defensive idea um, on the model. That's also the realm that a student enters on, right, on the path of enlightenment mm. right? because you want to start exploring alternate ways of doing things and and things like that. But either Mm -hmm. way, we're looking at this whole Godai water thing, right? The idea of timing, distancing, angling, the ability to pull back and create some time and some distance to be able to look at things from a big picture scenario, right? And be able to see things, right? Mm -hmm. If the closer you are to something, right, the more you're inside the activity, the more difficult it is to see the whole activity, right? Yeah. I mean, if I'm, yeah, the the viewpoint would be like if I'm in the football game, right? And you know my my team has the ball, right? I'm on the offense, right? I can only see so much of the field. I can only see what my eyeballs are pointing at at any given moment. But then my mind is also focused on where the ball is or who I'm dealing with. You know, depending on whether I'm a lineman or whatever. Yeah. Right? I don't watch football, but I get the gist, right? Anyway, so I can only see so much. That view is different than somebody in the stands. Yeah. at whatever level they're at, right? right? They get a different view of the field, but still they can't see the entire stadium, mm-hmm. right? They have to move their head around and they have to purposely look at different areas, right? Yeah. Very different from the guy who or the cameraman up in the Goodyear blimp mm-hmm. hovering above the stadium where one wide-angle shot, I got the stadium in four, block, you know, four blocks in any direction yeah. away from the stadium, right? So I can see the big picture, and then hone in. Oh, look, there's some action over there. Mm. We're going to zoom in over there, right? So mm. um, it's that idea. So I'm pulling back and I'm looking at things. So it's the uh, ob- uh, the observational mindset as well, right? So I'm pulling back, looking at this, and then when I when I find that opening, then I can move back in, right? So it's just the it's same idea of the ocean wave pulling back away from the shore, mm. gathering up all this extra power, Right. And then crashing back in. Mm. But there's also the state of you know, fluidity and flow. Right. The ocean wave doesn't pull back and <laughs> and stop and then go back in. So right. it, it gets around the whole robotic movement. Right? Mm. Uh, in the intermediate stages, uh, we play around with this water with that uh, training drill that we use called Enundo. Right. That circular repetition mm. kind of thing, mm-hmm. that figure eight drill kind of thing, which is really about 
developing the ability to effectively and efficiently transition from offense to defense very, very quickly, right, mm-hmm. and, and fluidly, right? Yeah. So there's this offense to defense and, and just kind of playing back and forth, right? So anyway, and like I said, there's some psychology stuff to it. There's some emotional things or whatever. So um, how about if you steer at this point because <laughs> there's so much that I'm just yeah. kind of like throwing a we'll, bunch of darts. We'll continue to scratch <laughs> upon the surface of these different steps through through the Godai. That was water. And in the next episode, we'll if you figure out how to follow this entire show in order, we'll, we'll then be on, on fire. Uh, but next in this episode, uh, we're going to take a look at going international with your training. Um, some of you may be international already. I know a lot of people, you know, you have students that are in other countries already. But, you know, something specific that's been to my training and others here in the United States but is looking at with that? traveling to. What do you do with that? A lot of people that go to Japan, yeah, that's their claim to fame. Right. I train in Japan. Yeah. Well, Okay. <laughs> How easily have you been able to translate those lessons from classical, a completely different society than you live in, mm. to being usable in your backyard? Right. 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 It's kind of like um, a, a letter I'm sending out to a bunch of uh, survival training uh, experts now, right? Because mm-hmm. they, their, their client list is people that would be perfect for what we're doing and how we're teaching and all that. Not that I want them to come to my survival things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I teach survival so I can relate to that mindset. But here's the question, right? You've learned how to fish. Have you learned how to keep it? Because mm. that's my question to the preppers, right? You've stockpiled and all that. Now, how many people in your town know that you do that, right? You've mm-hmm. learned how to, you've learned all these skills and you've got all these weapons and all that. How many people in your town know that, right? So, when they run out of supplies, who has the grocery store, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Can you keep it, right? right? So it's the same thing, right? It's, it's the same concept. You're, you're, you're training internationally. You're going to the, all these lessons, right? You're learning from a Japanese teacher or whatever. Are you capable of translating the lesson that's coming from a perspective and a viewpoint and a history and an educational system and all that and a way of thinking that is completely foreign to what you were raised in? Mm. Right. We can think that we get the gist. We can think that we're translating things right because we're using our own reference points. And it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. How'd that work for you when you were in Japan? About half. (laughs) (laughs) We'll cover that in more detail next on Kude. So you want to train with Shidoshi Miller, but you're far from Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller is making it easy for you to get the powerful lessons of ninja training, self-defense, and personal development wherever you are. Join Shidoshi Miller's fast-growing group of online students. Break free of the limited free articles that can only scratch the surface of true ninja training using the power of the Internet. Be a part of live online training seminars and take advantage of Shidoshi Miller's video series like the 12 DVD series, Advanced Sanshin and Kyanapo Home Study Course. Learn more about online training, accessing video training series, and even how you can bring Shidoshi Miller to you by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome back to Kuden. We are talking now about taking your training international, uh, specifically if you're in the States. Um, Shidoshi Miller has a, a great program to travel abroad with him and train in Japan. But uh, as you pointed out before this segment started, what does that really mean for your training? I mean, what's, why should somebody take their training to Japan? 
Why well, is it I important? Could, I could give you the uh, uh, the official story, which you know, Hatsumi Sensei's big thing is, you know, obviously if you train with him or you train with the seniors or whatever, you're training with the people that have been training the longest and really understand the art, right? And that's kind of a global statement that he makes to everybody because you're going to get it from the source's mouth kind of thing, right? Um, but he's also kind of dancing around the the thing where he doesn't want to have to name names of who around the world mm. gets it and, you know, you should train with these people because he's, you know, uh, I, I do believe that he's cast a wide net. So the more mm. instructors you have, the more students come into the art, the more likely any one of these people have of kind of finding their way, mm-hmm. right? Um, even if it's not with that that teacher. So he's not going to mess that system up. But either way, why should you do it? Um, I could say to train with Hatsumi Sensei, um, but in my humble opinion, I don't believe that most people, and this is not rank-related, rank-dependent, but I don't believe that most people are going to understand what they see when they see him do things, right? And that mm-hmm. goes for Nagato-sensei, that goes for several of the Shihan, because they're not using the Kamai that you're training with. They're not using things. So what ends up happening is people go and train with these very, very high-level people, and they they go from beginner training where they should be focusing highly mm-hmm. on Kamai and, you know, I'm not going to say form, but understanding these things and, and why they work and all that. You can't throw something away until you have it. Right, but people rely on these things, right? Since mm. I said, throw away the form. Can't throw away something you never had, right? Mm. But to go and to go and train with Hatsumi Sensei and not understand what you're looking at would be like signing up for art school, and then you know the teacher goes, "Hey, we're going to take a field trip. We're going to go over to Picasso's house, and you're going to take a lesson from him." <laughs> yeah. uh, uh. You know. Most people are going to go, cool, right? I trained directly under Picasso, and uh, right? yeah. slap some paint on there, and. Uh, yeah, no, it doesn't work like that, right? Mm. So let's just work with the why go with me, okay? Or why go with somebody who's put together kind of a trip like this? Because there's lots of people putting together trips. Mm-hmm. But what I found was that most of the people are putting together, most of the people that are putting together trips are putting together a trip, okay? So they they do all the legwork, right? And they, they, they know where to stay and all that kind of stuff, which is what I do as well, right? Airplane tickets, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You go as a group, right? But they're really only getting you into the country and getting you to classes. The rest of the time, there's a lot of dead time between classes, right? Mm-hmm. You're on your own. Figure it out. Okay? When I take people, I know that people are going on a trip and they feel more comfortable going on a trip with me because I've been there Dozens of times, right? Mm-hmm. I know where to go. I speak enough of the language to get us around, not get us lost, that kind of thing. And that takes a lot of pressure off of them, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, some people probably have dabbled in Spanish or German or whatever, but Japanese. Uh, I can say onikudaki, you know, I can say, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and a lot of people can't say, that. they can say these technique names, but not very well. Right. That's not going to help you getting around, you know, from point A to point B or or where can you get something? Right. How do you trim some of the, the cost off of your food expense mm-hmm. or are you just going to eat out the whole time? Right. Right. Um, with the exception of, of the Hanata not being there anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. They, they closed down. Right. 
Um, still, I, I know where the grocery stores are and all that kind of stuff. So we take a little trip and, and people are like, oh, my God, I can you know, cut my food bill by half at least, yeah. right, by making sure that I have my breakfast or whatever. I bought that at the, at the grocery store instead of always going to the restaurants or whatever. Mm. And we all know how inexpensive the fast food restaurants are in Japan, right? Mm. McDonald's is like at least double, if not more, than it is here. When yeah. you were there in 04, yeah. I think a whatever they call a number one or whatever, the Big Mac meal, right? Big Macs, fries, and a, and, a, and a drink or whatever. Here was barely three bucks, right? And there it was almost 10, mm-hmm. right? So can you imagine? Freaking yeah. Big Mac meal now is what? I don't know, five, six bucks or whatever. Can you imagine what it is in freaking Japan? I haven't been there in a year and a half, but yeah. holy crap, Yeah, you know? Um, so I, I, t- I remember taking a guy one year. I'd only taken two people. And uh, the one student I took was way okay with eating local food, right? So we had noodles and rice and sushi and all kinds of stuff. And it was very inexpensive, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They would not touch anything different. So wherever we went, he found the KFC or the McDonald's or Mm. whatever that was nearby and then complained because the food or the cost that he was paying out for food was more than I told him he should budget for. Mm. What I said was, you budget this much. If you can eat local with the occasional, yeah, you know, high-end restaurant or whatever, more if you've got to eat American, right? <laughs> right? So, uh, but anyway, I, I take that edge off. But the other thing, too, is when you go on a training trip with me, I'm doing something that most of these guys are not, and I'm making it a full training trip, mm-hmm. right? You invited me to be in your wedding on top of Togakushi Mountain. Mm-hmm a couple of miles from the very peak, right, Yeah. that we were hiking up to and all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So most people, I've talked to guys that, that have been in this art almost as long as I have. They've been to Japan every year, a couple of times a year, just like me or whatever, want to know where the hell I'm always going because they just go to, like, the flea market over here or they go to this temple. Mm. And, you know, they just kind of sit around and wait for the next class to happen. You know, uh, well, I, I just got back from, you know, uh, Togakure Mountain or Togakushi Mountain, right? Why would you go up there? And then I, you know, spit out a quick five-minute history lesson, which is not very long at all, right? Right. Wow, nobody's ever said it that way. Yes, they have. It's in front of at least two of uh, Stephen Hayes' books. Yeah. And listening to a couple of Hatsumi Sensei's books. What are you paying attention to when you read, right? Um, there's, uh, if you read the, uh, or get the, the backs of the videos translated, right? There's little hints to places like, uh, Mount uh, Kurama and Mount Kumano and places like that near mm. Kyoto where the Gyokoryu seat was and, mm. you know, these important temples and all that. Dude, I don't believe Hatsumi Sensei puts anything anywhere that shouldn't be explored, right? So mm. my next trip to Kyoto, I'm not going to the same places I typically go to or I'm going to stay an extra day, mm. not uh, Kyoto, Nagano, right? And I'm going to one of these other mountains where, yeah. you know, something significant happened or whatever, right? Because mm. that's where I'm going. So I put together a full training trip. When I say that you're going to train, we get up early. We are either taking a day trip to a local temple or historical place or whatever. You're getting a lesson from me while we're there. You're learning other things while you're there, right? We get back in time for training, right? Get a bite to eat get back home, in bed, up early the next morning, and Mm. we're off and running again, right? So um, when I say it's a training trip, it's a friggin' training trip, and it's not just about ducking punches. It's about 
history. It's about the spiritual part of the training or the philosophy part of the training or mm. just learning about the culture. Um, how often did we just like sit around? Uh, yeah. Well, the only, the only sitting around we did was like waiting for everybody to get up and right. then leave. Right. Yeah. And, or we or had, it, or we didn't have enough time to go do something else. So we sat around for an hour, hour and a half waiting for time to leave to go for training yeah. because. Yeah. I can't recall much time at all. Just <laughs> going, well, what are we doing? Yeah. I mean, we were always walking somewhere, going somewhere, yeah. taking a train somewhere, whatever. So, yeah, so um, the the big deal is, again, what I'm offering is more than just going going to a different country, sitting in a replacement for your house, waiting for training time at a replacement for your home dojo. Hmm. But it's a celebrity that you're going to see, right? Yeah. So... Uh, Everything was a lesson. I mean, even even when we went to the one uh, shrine and uh, temple area right around the corner from Hombu, which isn't there mm. anymore, mm-hmm. right? Um, right around from there by the train station, right? And we did, like, photo shoots and stuff like that, right? I'm still walking around and pointing out, you know, the historical relevance to these different things. And, uh, I mean, you know, how many people have chosen to not walk the three temples, or the three shrines up on Togakure. Mm-hmm. But you guys learned a lot. We, we walked past a cemetery yeah. that is 600 years old, and there's family crests on there that people have only ever seen in freaking books, uh-huh. right? Family lines that are there that are connected to our martial art and, you know, all, yeah. all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, just duh, right? There's so much that people could be doing. And I'm not saying that they have to. Yeah. But when I take people to Japan – for a week or for two weeks or whatever, it is a training trip. It is not a trip to get you into another country so you can go just train at a different dojo with a different person. Yeah. Right. And I'm not downplaying Hatsumi Sensei or any of these guys. We still make it to plenty of training. I mean, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. I mean, that my trips, I wire in what, two classes a week with Hatsumi Sensei and two classes a week with Shiraishi Sensei. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do way more training than that. Right. And when you went, I did 37 hours of training in two weeks, okay? But since then, I started training with uh, Isuzuka sensei because he retired, and his classes are in the morning. Hmm. So I now do uh, about three classes a week with him. I try to do five, um, but the last time I went, the yen-dollar exchange was not happy with me. So (laughs) I did two or three, right? But, you know, I'm doing, what? two extra classes on Saturday, an extra class on Sunday, that kind of thing that the student has to kind of pick up on their own because I don't know who's going to be worn out early or whatever. I know how much training I'm getting in. Feel free to come. I've covered, you know, the cost of your, your trip has covered this. If you want to do extra training, you go to class with me. That's fine. Here's how much these classes cost. You know, the people are rolling their eyes back in their skull because Holy crap, that's expensive. Mm. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, uh, why train internationally? If you're really, if you really engage with the training, right? There's you have access to the history, you have access to the source, that kind of thing, right? Um, you have access, and and you're going to be training with teachers that perhaps your teacher trains with, or people that you go to, uh, you know, to set, to train with at seminars or whatever, and you can hear these things right out of these people's mouths. You can get a feel for the training. You can. Here's a big one, right? You can see 
and feel the overall quality of the students who are there training. Mm. Right. You mm-hmm. can see the egos. You can see who's training and who isn't. You, mm. you can see all of these quote unquote Shihan, right? Not all of them, but you can see a bunch of them in one place at one time and see for yourself, right? Because without that, all you have are names and rank and other people's uh, say so or whatever when you go to their blog or their website or you run into articles or whatever, mm. right? You get a feel for these people. You get to experience their personality, ego if it exists, whatever, right? And you can make your own decisions, right? Is it cheap? No. But one, martial arts training in general is not cheap unless you're doing it at the Y and you're just, you know, right. getting what you get, right? Yeah. Um, but this art has never been easy to get, right? So anyway, I have my own reasons for going. Um, one, I had to keep elevating the quality of people that I was training with because my level goes up, right? So at a certain point, every teacher has to make a decision, right? Do you think you know everything? Or do you keep putting yourself into a position where you feel like you just got started, hmm. right? And I believe that whatever teacher you're working with should always, not verbally, but you should always feel like there is a chasm between where you are and where they are, right? But, um, yeah, so training internationally, it gives you, a, a, you know, a greater connection to the grander Bujinkan family kind of thing. Uh, but my big thing is uh, this art came from a, a place that itself translated these teachings from China and, you know, along the Silk Road and all that kind of stuff, right, and translated them in a very unique way. And then some of these teachers early on, especially Stephen Hayes and, and all that, right, they had the the job of kind of translating this culture. Now, luckily, Stephen Hayes married a Japanese girl. He mm-hmm. got really engrossed in the Japanese culture, understanding what people mean when they say certain things and what, you know, cultural idioms are and, and all that mm. kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, and what Hotsmith say teaches, right. He, he's quoting from like certain authors that have been dead for 300 years, no plays, which are based on Buddhist, uh, teachings, mm-hmm. right. All kinds of things. Right. And people just stand around like nodding, like they know what the hell they're, what he's, what he's referencing. Really? Okay. Mm. You know, or, you know, he'll make a reference to now when he makes a reference to Dante or any of these Western people that should tell you that this guy has stepped outside of his own culture to explore. And, you know, so he Mm. can make these references in class and all that. But, you know, um, of course, you could go to just be entertained like what, 70 percent or better. Right. Mm. That's me since they does something and I'm busy trying to figure it out. Right. I know when our group went, he'd do something and somebody go flying or whatever. And we're like trying to, you know, I'm, I'm looking around. You can't see me, right? He can. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, trying to figure out how the hell he got from point A to point B. Yeah. Meanwhile, 70% of the group is applauding like he just yeah. did something entertaining. Right. If you're applauding, you're not paying attention <laughs> or you're not processing what you just saw. Mm. That was a neat trick sense. They do it again. Right. Um, I don't yeah, I'm sure it's you know paying for his two houses and his cars that he can't drive and all that kind of stuff. But um, it's just that's it, that that kind of thing really yeah sticks in my craw. What yeah. are what are some of the takeaways? I don't I don't think I've ever asked you this or or maybe heard you talk about it. The uh, uh from 
your first time going to Japan? I know you've been there a number of times, <laughs> but what was it like stepping see, back to the time getting that you lost, first went? Going to the dojo because I turned, I, I get off at the wrong train station. So the next day I went to class. Where um, did you go by yourself the first time you went? I did. You did? Yeah, I just had some instructions from. Uh, Alone in a foreign land. And that's why wow. I put these trips together. Right. I wasted so much time on that first trip trying to figure things out. Mm. Right. Um, and then you know, there weren't tons and tons of people going. Right. Mm -hmm. But I also felt uncomfortable. I mean, I could have tagged along with some of these people or whatever, but, you know, um, just I don't know. I'm, I'm more of an explorer at heart. I mean, you could drop me off anywhere and I'll just dive in and figure it out. Yeah. But I spent a lot of time during that trip figuring it out. And I know what that felt like, and I know how much time I wasted and all that kind of stuff that I just, I want to relieve people of that. Now, if they, you know, want to go on their own, have at it. I'll give you hints and tips and all that kind of stuff. But, mm. um, you know, why do that if somebody already has the roadmap and, you know, it's all there, right? Mm -hmm. And on top of that, you're going to get bonus training while you're there. I mean, how many times did we sit around after we got back to the guest house? Mm -hmm. Right. Just discussing training or the lessons yeah. of the day or or even on a train. On a trying train. To figure out what did you see? And, and right. Absolutely. About in sitting class. around going, yeah. you know, because we're all sitting in different places and we know that perspective is reality. Yeah. Right. So I was sitting over here and this is what I saw. And then, you know, you would chime in and go, yeah, my vantage point when that happened, he had his foot. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see where his foot was. That's awesome. That's a, there's a little note, right? Yeah. Um, so the difference now is I feel very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I, I, I could live in Japan and be very comfortable. You know, would I be ostracized because I'm, you know, gaijin? Of course, you know, I've been in few places in the world that are as, this is going to upset my Japanese friends, that are as prejudiced or prejudicial as Japan, right? If you're not Japanese, yeah, you're an outsider kind of thing, right? It is what it is, but uh, I, I've spent a lot of time learning about etiquette and all that. I mean, we did a class before you went, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or several. a couple of several yeah. classes, right? Covering etiquette on trains and buses and do this, don't do this, or whatever. Because mm -hmm. my big warning was, you will not be the typical tourist when you are there. You will yeah. surprise people, and you'll be surprised at how much you get in the way of help because. Yeah. Even if you're trying, even if you're butchering the language, mm -hmm. they see it as um, an attempt. You know, we hear somebody butchering the language, and most people here are like, "Well, if you can't speak English, get the hell out." Kind right. Of thing, right. In Japan, they're like, "You can butcher the language," and they'd be like, "Oh, oh you know, I think what you're trying to say is this kind of thing, right?" Yeah. So uh, that was one of my big personal goals was to not be the typical American. Yeah. Over there, yeah. and 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 I'm embarrassed for yeah. a lot of folks. I mean, we'll get on a train after class. And these guys that have awesome taijutsu in the dojo, right, shuffling their feet on the way to the train, right? They get into the freaking train. They throw their legs out into the damn aisle way, which is so mm. against etiquette, right? Sprawl out, take up all this space and everything, right? Talking loudly and all this stuff that, that violates, you know, the etiquette, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel, I feel embarrassed for them because they're obviously not embarrassed, mm -hmm. right? They either forgot where they are. And they know better or they don't care. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and if we're training in needed to, part of that is invisibility, right? And yeah. part of invisibility is blending in. I can't yeah. do anything about being gaijin 
Although I look Amerasian, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My wife's always talking about my beady little slit eyes, right? <laughs> uh, but, but, um, uh, I don't have to stand out by being rude or obnoxious or loud or, mm-hmm. you know, all those things that they think of negatively, negatively when they think of a Westerner, mm-hmm. right? I don't have to be that person, right? Um, so mm. how's it different? It's, um, is, is there anything, you know, as you look forward to trips in the future, is, is there still anything that maybe has eluded you that you've yet to, to do or really kind of on your bucket list maybe of something in Japan that, that you haven't yet experienced that is, is something that you'd like to do? Yeah. And I'd have to stay for uh, one of my, one of my things on my bucket list and my wife is really gonna have to understand. <laughs> uh, I want to, I want to go and stay for three months. Right. Um, because there are certain cultural festivals that mm-hmm. are tied into the whole samurai thing and all that, that we tend to steer around mm-hmm. because of what we have on our agenda. And the last thing you want to do is get caught up in the holiday travel where mm. there's no room at the inn kind of thing or mm-hmm. the prices are way up or whatever. Right. But um, uh, I, I would like to see some of these. And there are a couple of historical sites around kind of like here in the States where we have like um, – uh, uh, like old world, uh, Williamsburg, Virginia, mm, that kind of mm-hmm. thing where everybody's, you know, dressed in, in style and all that kind of stuff. Right. Sure. And the buildings are all yeah. to that era and everything. Right. There are a couple of places in and around Japan locally to where we would go, not, not too far away mm-hmm. that, uh, like samurai villages and, and stuff mm. like that. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of things. Um, Actually, one of the things I'd like to do um, with an, an extended trip like that is it's it's an hour and 55-minute flight to Korea, and mm. I'd like to hop over and go just revisit um, mm. some of the places that I spent my time in in the early 80s uh, when mm. I was in the military, right? Um, but I think, I think I'd have a different view on and appreciation because when I was in Korea – the Koreans tend to not like the Japanese, and it goes way back historically mm. and all that kind of stuff. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of history there, right? Uh, but I would be able to see more of the Japanese influence that I was only told about but really couldn't discern one way or the other, right, mm-hmm. when I was there. Um, and then be able to see if anything, any of that, you know, is mm. going on in Japan or, you know, whatever, right? But, yeah, there, there are a couple of things that I'd like to do. Um, what I'm going to do actually at the moment before you go and – push your little button is to, <laughs> is to flip the tables. Right. Uh-huh. Um, because your memories are still of somebody who was, were you showed on then or no, no you were not showed. No, I, right. But there was a lot leading up to that. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, you were involved in one of the, uh, Goma uh, goal setting things. That's what started mm-hmm. the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Um, that we do religiously at our, I don't mean religiously like, you know, religion kind of thing right but i mean we do it consistently yes. right across all of our camps and the dicomio side that's coming up mm-hmm. right that kind of thing um and then you you would have had a different perspective on it than i do because mm-hmm. you were you were there um and then you also had the experience of coming back early yeah and i remember the look in your eyes when you were getting on that train <laughs> you and mr whistler oh yeah yeah it was terrible yeah that was that was heart-wrenching on my side, and uh, Mr. Beck just wanted to laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Beck just wanted to laugh at you. Yeah. But anyway, 
you share some things with people. I mean, why should somebody go? Why, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a Shiboshi, yeah. right? And I'm the <laughs> one that puts together the trip and all that. So all of this can sound like a freaking sales pitch, right? But from a student's perspective, yeah. right? And somebody that's been like trying to figure out how the hell to get back uh-huh. <laughs> for a couple of years, right? <laughs> why? Well, it, you know, and I was very, I guess, early in my training. I would have only been about a year at that point yeah, into like a little over two, a year. Three, something like that? Uh, I think I had just gotten my green belt prior to going. So that That's would have four. been mod four. Yeah. Just going into mod four, I think. Um, you know, so it was only about a, a, a little over a year into my training. That's when so. you were single and trained a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. Living yeah. in Watson Town and all that stuff. So you were in, tr- in class. I what, was there all the time. Four times a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Saturday. Yes. And, and, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, as much as I could. And it just, it seemed like this, you know, the, what you had described and laid out in that it wasn't just, we're going there, we're going to train. And then, you know, it wasn't just hitting the classes. It was those other things that, as you pointed out, I had read in the books. Well, I've never been one to kind of, of like have you guys look at me since I like, you know, he's this guy with a big halo around his head or whatever that, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to visit the Pope, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Right. Um, we've had, classes are are imbued with history and and where the technology came from and yeah. know, things like that so and and i think at that time too you had something in in the dojo that was this tree like a family tree oh, right, right. and had had this illustration of how what we're doing today is connected to this thousand where it came years in from china history. to japan and then branched out yeah right. and and to me that was really appealing i i Never had gone international. I had that remade, by the way. It's going to go up back up again as soon as we get the one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Yeah, no, I really, I really like that. Um, Being a visual person, I guess, really helped. And I'd always loved travel. So this idea of being able to travel to somewhere so far away and foreign and see if I could really connect personally Mm -hmm. with what I was doing in the dojo. And that was what was, I think, so powerful for the trip for me. You know, I, I wanted to get into the training with those other teachers and just the process of working, as you kind of pointed out, physically and, and there's a language barrier mm-hmm. and you're trying to work around that. So it's really kind of it almost boils it down to that essence of training where, you know, someone's moving your arms. See, it's like this and, and you really can't speak about it. You just have to kind of observe and, and work with them. Um, you know, that was really kind of, I guess, enlightening for me over there. But uh, being able to travel to the different temples and see the history and just be a part of the culture over there. It was really all of that was very appealing to me. And, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Now tell everybody um, about how much time and money and resources and all that you had when you put that stick in the freaking fire and set your goal on being in Japan. Less I didn't really later. have anything. <laughs> yeah. No, I had nothing. I mean, I, I was so we're, working a job. I want people to know that we, any kind of income. I, I don't steady. take people that are like independently wealthy and stuff like that. No, right? These yeah. are people that have to figure it out just like they do. Yeah. And, but most people would like to believe that their situation is unique. Right. You just don't understand, man. If it was just like, you know, if my job were different or my wife was different or my Dude, <laughs> you're not different. Yeah. And and what my one of my teachers used to always say is the more unique you think your situation is or the more unique you think you are, the more average you really are. Yeah. Right? So none of us have anything different to have to deal with, right? I mean, you weren't married then, didn't have a kid and all that kind of stuff. But, right. 
you were you were like low man on the totem pole here. You were yeah, working in just like starting sales or in sales, like so you know, I was paid on commission, commission. I had <laughs> kind of yeah, income, and you know, also it was kind of the first real goal I had set for myself, selfishly in a way, you know, because things like graduating school, high right. school, college, all those things. Yeah, I wanted to do those, but there were so many other people that, you know, hey, you know, I want to make my parents proud. I, I want to do this because this is what you're supposed to do. And I can't remember do. if we were on the plane or in the airport or actually in Japan when you when you looked at me and said, this is what was on my stick at, yeah. at spring camp. Right. Or, you know, uh, yeah, we had done January for the Daikomio side, and that's what I had put on there. and. Right. I mean, Nine to this day, later. every one that I've done, anything I've written on that stick and thrown in there, right. I've made. It, it's happened, you know. It, it's it's that they get goosebumps. But it's not that. magic, right? No, and yeah. and and so setting a goal for myself personally, wanted to do this thing, and that making it happen was just such a powerful. It's hard to explain how powerful that is unless you've done something like that. And and to that point, and how being, many times were you surprised in that nine month period? Then here we are talking about Mikio now, right? Yeah. How many times in that nine month period, because of the the effort and mindfulness that you put into being in Japan, being on that freaking plane and being there, how many times did the universe toss money at you you didn't know you had coming or an opportunity? You know, for whatever. I mean, yeah. you were always turning, coming back, coming into the dojo with an extra, like, couple hundred dollars for, for toward, because I, I keep everything in a safe and everything was right. in everybody's individual envelopes yeah. and all that, right? So you're always bringing the stuff in and going, <laughs> laughing your ass off because, yeah. you know. Uh, it just seemed like, uh, you know, I got like an account. I think it was uh, this really big buy that had come through in my, sale, in my sales position with, I think it was the Air Force recruitment or something. Had no idea that was ever coming down. Right. Happened, you know, things like that would happen, and then I would have something I never thought I was budgeted for in terms of money to be able to put away. Right. And it worked out that in, I think, three months prior to us going, yeah. I was set. Yeah, you, I had what I needed paid to off go. months ahead. Yeah, yeah. that was really shocking. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was cool. cool. But why go? I know why you're going to go. <laughs> <laughs> why go? Why, why should some... Why should somebody – no, no, not why should they go. You've already talked about why should, why should they yeah. go. What would they take away as a student, right, as somebody that, you know, why not just keep training with the teacher they're training with? And I'm not telling anybody they need to run away from their teacher or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not about that, right? Why why go international? You answer the why think, go international. I think it's it's that lesson of a journey is important to mm. – to, Musha to, Shugyo. Yeah, to put quest. those challenges in your way and do something that's – totally outside the box for your everyday. It may be something to get on the road and drive an hour to go to class, and that's a challenge in itself sometimes. I know that I have, but I mean to to make the financial commitments, to make the time commitments, to, to travel to some place where people don't speak your language. Those little challenges that you meet going through all of that is so much more and they a teach you so much more about life being in class sometimes. They teach and, you well and you're only going to learn 10% of this art in class anyway. Mm-hmm. And only a third of this art has to do with the physical self-defense skills, mm-hmm. right? There's a third of it's psychological, a third of it is philosophical, emotional, that kind of stuff, right? Um, but you're you're hitting on it right there. there. The things that you went through and the things that you recognized, not just the things that you did, taught you so much about yourself and life and the way things can kind of happen, mm-hmm. right? But that, I mean, you didn't... Not that you didn't go out after, you know, sales and, and clients and things like that, but 
I remember for at least half of those, those six months that the money was coming in, you were concerned on a regular basis, right? Yeah. You didn't even know if they were going to give you a time off. Two yeah. weeks was a lot, and you, I think you lot. got a week and a half or whatever, yeah. right? Um, but there was there was a lot. I mean, you were in a brand-new relationship, and, mm-hmm. and there was a lot of like emotional tug on that. I remember you being on the phone. I don't know how much you spent on freaking phone calls and stuff, yeah. but – there was, was a, very hard. there was a huge toll on that, right? Yeah. But uh, I think that, that when when somebody goes through that process, that trial by fire, so to speak, right, mm. um, you learn a lot. You learn about a lot about yourself. And not just that you can stay on track with something or whatever, but yeah. you start to learn that maybe the world's not all to plan kind mm. of thing, right? That the way this karma works in ripples and all that, that – just kind of putting yourself on a path and staying consistent that you end up bumping into things. And by staying awake and having a purpose, yeah, right, you had a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of those things that happened, had you not had a purpose, they might have just been like, oh, that was a neat surprise. And then you'd have blown it on something else or, you know, you might even have just kind of like passed on it or who knows, you know, taking longer to make something happen or whatever. But um, there was a lot. So there's lessons that you carried away from that yeah. That trip, right? Yeah. That seemed to be about meeting Hatsumi Sensei and training and all that, that I know you've used again and again. Yeah. Since you've been back. And that yeah. was in 04. Yeah. Holy crap, dude. That was I know. 10 and, years that, ago. That's, and that's the thing. Looking back 10 years, you know, the things that were in the class part, the training, you know, Shiraishi's class, Hatsumi's class, little things like that, I can recall. But a lot of that to me is kind of foggy mm. and what is, is, still very fresh is the the life lessons those yeah. things that the the experiences in the moments that were outside the classroom you know that were very powerful and and made it just so worthwhile going so yeah and i i bet that you could if you closed your eyes standing at the togakushi shrine at the at the very top shrine right if you closed your eyes and imagined yourself looking up and right you can still picture the peak mm-hmm. of togakure of togakushi mountain better more clearly than you could remember most of the techniques or classes or whatever that you've that you took yeah right and all of it i mean and it's just it's and the volcano that was the volcano right yeah that we looked across at everything that that kelsey's face my nine-year-old's face i mean she's first year of college now right yeah um her her face you know tears and stuff making it making that climb everybody else was complaining and stuff and she made that legs hurting and everything yeah and and we did it in Tabi. Yeah, we're, absolutely. We're on that well, I made her wear sneakers. Road. I made, oh. made her wear sneakers and everything. But yeah. um, but you guys collectively had her sit down with all the teachers and, and black belts and stuff and had that picture taken. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just that was an accomplishment for everybody all the way around. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a cool thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact I, I think it was hugely bonding because I purposely did things that made it a little bit more of a trial and, mm. you know, whatever. I mean, you know, we freaking jogged up the, up the steps. Of the <laughs> one a lot temple, of steps. Right? <laughs> and they go very yeah. vertical, you know, not like a gradual climb. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we, we did a lot on, yeah. that, on that thing. So anyway, but hopefully that helps with folks. I mean, I know we, we talked more about the experience than giving you hard you know facts like it's only this much and if you budget this much that's yeah. that's entirely up to you i don't know your life situation mm-hmm. uh, i know mine and i know how life gets in the way i mean 
you know, for the past couple of years recovering from the accident and everything, my, my finances have taken a toll yeah. themselves, right? Um, I scraped up enough, you know, to go here or there or whatever, but um, I missed, was it last year's trip? Uh, hmm. Mr. Whistler went and got his fifth down and all that. And I wanted yeah. to punch him in the face. Um, <laughs> cause I was, I, I was on track to go and then life just had a little turn for me and, hmm. um, and I, I didn't make it for that one. But, um, yeah, so I get it. I get hmm. it. But I don't mentally, I don't look at life and I don't focus on things focusing on those things. If I don't go, it's because something happened to bump me off track at yeah. the last minute or, you know, along the way, not because I set, I started out just deciding that's not going to happen. And for those of you, uh, I don't know if you individually that are listening to me, uh, are this way, but there are lots of people. I have one in the dojo that finally a couple of years ago, just stopped telling me he was going next mm. year. Right. There's a psychological principle at work when you do something like that. Well, I can't go this year, but I'm going to go next year. Right. Definitely going to go next year. Mm-hmm. Bullshit. Right. Because when next year rolls around at the same time, you're going to tell me that things are not in place and you can't go this year, but you're going to go next year, Mm. right? Because doing that, that gratification through postponement, what it does is it relieves you of the pressure of having to think about it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Screw that. Don't say I'm going next year. Say I'm going next month. And then when you go three months from now instead of next month, it's okay. You got delayed. Mm-hmm. But by putting something that far into the future, all you're doing is relieving yourself of the pressure of not thinking about it now. Mm-hmm. And that th- not thinking about it now is going to cover so many nows that next year is going to come and go. And somebody's going to remind you that you didn't go several months ago. And that several months ago was the next year's trip that you yeah. put off. Right. This guy put it off 13 years in a row till he mm-hmm. finally said, I'm probably never going to make it. And that you might as well just shoot yourself in the head then. Mm-hmm. You know, what you just what you just said was I'm incapable of controlling things enough that I won't even set myself up for some of those you know, universal coincidences that you bumped into. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find they happen a lot when your mindset is just it's in the right place. Well, I'm and since they talked about this stuff a lot, considerate, I guess, mm-hmm. of what I put on that stick when it comes to the Goma ceremony we've talked about, because. I know if I write something on there, it's going to happen. <laughs> so, you know, if I put it on there, it's going to happen. And that could mean a lot of things for a lot Absolutely. of different people I put, in, in, in I touch in life. I put but, things on there that I look back and go, boy, that was specifically vague because I'll, you know, I, mm-hmm. I remember doing some things and, and putting something on a stick that was, um, it was basically having the opposite of what I had at the moment, right? I really didn't give that a whole lot of thought because mm. I ended up getting the opposite. Mm, but I was not specific enough because mm. that one element was opposite. But that comes with a whole a whole bunch of extra baggage. Yeah. Whether it's a person that you're with or a situation that you're in or whatever, right? Um, but just because you wrote that stuff down, that's kind of like watching the video The Secret, right? It's It's just the first step. And it should be the thing that keeps bringing your mind back to the fact that you made this commitment and you did more than just like, you know, New Year's is coming up, right? So people have been making New Year's resolutions. It's New Year's resolutions on steroids because you're acting out the process of accomplishing the goal with this physical, quote unquote, ritual meditation, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Rather than just saying, 
my resolution is, you know, or my New Year's resolution, and you're only doing it because it's fashionable and somebody, somebody's, a bunch of somebody's are going to ask you over the next four freaking weeks. So you've got an answer for them, but it's the same goal you've been working on for how long? Yeah. And, and I, I get it. I'm, I'm, don't think that I'm on a pedestal saying, oh, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm perfect and all that. And I, I get it because I slip a lot. Mm. Right. Um, one of the things the Buddha said, uh, quite adamantly was, uh, to not rest on your laurels when you've attained enlightenment or you've become enlightened about something, right? One of the most important things, especially for enlightened people, is to mind mind. Mm. To be mindful and to mind mind because very easily, whatever the common uh, philosophy or belief system or whatever that surrounds you, family, friends, worker, coworkers, whatever, right? It will invade your mind. And it gets in subconsciously, unconsciously, because you're just, you know, you could be doing your thing, but your ears are always on and your eyes are always on. Whether you're focusing on that consciously or not doesn't mean that the the uh, impulse isn't coming in, right? So mm-hmm. um, you can be conditioned by things because you, you're not mindfully making sure that what's in there is what, one, you want in there, and two, will be most beneficial to you which you may not want, <laughs> but <laughs> it's kind of like medicine, right? The uh-huh. nastiest stuff is the stuff that, you know, probably works the best. But yeah. so anyway, I, I didn't mean to veer off on no. this thing, but I, I wanted to get your take on it. I, yeah. I think people deserve your take on this stuff. You're not just the MC here. <laughs> <laughs> I just push the button. I just push that not, <laughs> and not well all the time. <laughs> Great. Sometimes, he's, sometimes he pushes my buttons and then he shows up for class. We'll have he, to hire a dedicated button pusher, I think. And, Japanese ninjutsu term for you when you've pushed my buttons in the wrong way is piñata. I know it's Spanish, but just go <laughs> along with me. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think people get that. Coming up uh, next, there is no other segment in this is no episode. This is it. But uh, in the next episode, we've already planned out some things to talk about, um, which will be in the news. The knockout game, that's something that at the time we're recording this has been a recent story, but I think there's a powerful lesson wrapped up. And that game just got here to this little city in Pennsylvania, right? It started out in big city areas. Right. Right. Yeah. And it it just got here. So, yeah. Also, uh, we'll keep with our progression on the Godai looking at the next uh, element, fire, and also want to talk, uh, hear you talk a little bit about mantra and kind of maybe demystifying a little bit what some people would say is magic or what this is chanting stuff is what what is mantra and how does that translate into what we do magic about as much as a helicopter's blade is magic i mean i i think it's magic i mean you've got these two little slivers of metal that are shaped a certain way that when they spin around and they're at the right angle they can lift tonnage up off the ground i know scientists can explain that but damn dude that's pretty freaking magical right it's the same kind of magic that mantra has behind it, but you know, let's let's we're going to demystify some things and look at it from a scientific standpoint. But uh, let's not let's not completely remove magic from our lives because mm. if life is not all inspiring, mm. what the hell is it? It's it's existence, right? Mm-hmm. Animals are not awed by things; they eat, sleep, and shit, right? Mm. So do a bunch of humans. This art is about rising above that and having a life of significance and being able to pass that on, right? Mm. 
So wouldn't it be cool if one day your name was on that family tree we talked about earlier? That would be. That'd be cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll stop saying would be. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> that will be in the next episode. Maybe it's 13. Maybe it's 14. We'll figure it out when we get there. Hey, you know. <laughs> Whatever. We'll see you next time on Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228 or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228 or www.warrior-concepts-online.com.